Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew. As we bring you Talking in Circles tonight, we're going to discuss the Daytona Road Course. We're going to review all three races, Truck, Xfinity, and of course the Cup race on Sunday. We'll also preview this weekend's races from Dover. And we'll talk a little bit about the Indianapolis 500. So qualifying this weekend, Marco Andretti on the pole. For that race, we'll discuss what that means for them. It's first Andretti to sit on the pole at Indianapolis since 1987 when his dad, Michael, did it back then. So uh, lots of drama coming to that race. We'll discuss that just a little bit uh, since it's a big race. And even though it's it's August, it's still the Indianapolis 500. 917-889-8280. That's the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles. Let's get right to the cup race. It was the Go Bowling 235 there, Philip, um, from Daytona International Speedway. A race that was pretty much dominated by Chase Elliott. He led 34 laps, um, you know, had a big lead at one point in this race. Uh, He's becoming the king of road course racing. The last cup driver to win three consecutive road courses was Tony Stewart. Uh, And here it is now, Chase Elliott. What were your thoughts when you saw Chase Elliott go to victory lane on Sunday uh, at Daytona? Uh, not shocked at all. Uh, it's becoming old hat for Clyde. Uh, you know, Elliott's win at Daytona, you know that very well um, with uh, Awesome Bill. But, and even, and to, to be per- completely honest, Awesome Bill won on Daytona's road course way back when in the 80s running for uh, Roush Racing. Um, so in the Rolex 24, so it, it's, it's not like it's out of the realm for, uh, an Elliot. It, nobody would have thought that, you know, it, they talked about it on the hub randomly when I was going and switching through channels because of the hockey and Clyde's four of his eight wins have been on road courses. Three of them are on Roval type, uh, courses. Or, or two of them are, yeah, two of them are on rovals. And so it, it's, you got to give credit to him. You got to give credit to Hendrick where they've been able to figure out this road course package, even no matter how many times NASCAR Fs with the rules. Uh, he's figured it out ever since he finally got over the hump. He finally got that first win at Watkins Glen. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, something to see it. it. It was a usual suspect. Clyde was up there. The Toyotas were up there. Fundamentally, you could make a case that one of the three Gibbs guys should have been in position to win that race, but they all kind of uh, screw themselves, and uh, in a sense. And but it, it's uh, good old Clyde. He, he got another win. He's going to sell a crap ton of diecasts and. Uh, Everything's good with the world. I mean, now he's won Daytona Road Course. I think the sirens going to be is going off, and they're going to determine because he won it. They're going to have to run at least twelve races. Every racetrack that Clyde wins at, I think they're going to change his schedule, and I think they're going to put at least three races at every racetrack that he's won. I think that's <laughs> going to be the new that's going to be the new move uh, that NASCAR goes with with the with Jim France. I think. The, as long as anywhere where, where, where Clyde and Ryan Blaney win, they're going to go and run like three races at each racetrack. So good credit to Clyde. It, it, is, nine. it is kind of crazy to hear when, uh, you know, we, want, we run one weekend there and all of a sudden there's whispers it's going to be on a cup schedule. We'll, we'll talk, in, talk about that in a little while here. 
Um, but it was a, a race that it didn't have any epic moments, let's be honest. But I don't think it was horrible. Uh, and when you go through the top five, there's a few drivers there who really needed a good run. Um, you know, I talked about Hamlin and Truex there in uh, second and third. You know, they, they, they had a very good day. You said JGR. JGR seems to be really good when it comes to uh, the road course races. They do a nice job. Jimmy Johnson finished fourth. He really needed a good run. He's right on the back end of, of the playoffs there and trying to make, make it in on points. Um, obviously, missing Indianapolis due to COVID was a big, it's been a big problem for him. He hasn't really been able to gain his points from there, but a solid day in fourth. And then Chris Buescher driving for Jack Roush in a fast and all forward, uh, finishing in the fifth spot. Uh, it's Buescher's first top five on a non-super speedway track since 2016. So uh, a, a big day for him as well. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw Jimmy and, and Chris Buescher up there battling for a top five run at the end of that race? Yeah, Jimmy is. I, it was he was an outside pick. I figured if people were betting on it for the race, it would have been a very good number to get uh, seven times. He he's been making incremental progress. It's unfortunate he missed the one race due to COVID. It's been he's had some brutal luck and also some mistakes that prior to 2016 or so, 2017 you'd have never thought. Jimmy Johnson would make, but having he had a car that I think for the first two laps after a pit after a pit stop on fresh tires might have been the fastest car on the racetrack. The problem is after two laps it was garbage, uh, or not not good enough. He definitely wasn't in the same uh, space as the nine, the nineteen, the eleven, or even the eighteen prior to all the craziness that happened to him. And but to get a top five finish kind of mitigate or get a little bit of, of gain on, on Byron and was was a good point stay. Chris Busher taking advantage of, you know, the late race carnage that always happens. He's an underrated road racer. He won at Mid-Ohio in the Xfinity Series. And and so he's, he, he knows how to run a road course pretty well. I think he, he did all right in the ARCA Series even as well. So it's... It, Considering how bad Roush has been this year, for them to get a top five finish uh, at a non-restrictor plate racetrack, I mean, whatever, non, you know, whatever, I don't know what you call it anymore, Daytona and Talladega. Super Speedway. Super Speedway or pack racing, yeah. Uh, Thank you. It's that that, That's basically, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that team is nowhere. Uh, It's going to need a miracle, basically either win Daytona in two weeks to get in, uh, similar to how you won Pocono. But it's a good run, a good momentum uh, boost uh, to start their planning towards 2021. Um, and, and I think Johnson has an outside shot. He's going to probably the best racetrack period for him. He's the all-time winner at Dover. It wouldn't shock me that Jimmy Johnson pulls one out, pulls the, ra- pulls the horseshoe out of his butt and, and, and wins at, at Dover. Uh, this weekend, considering how much endurance is going to be necessary to win uh, this weekend. Yeah, no, there's no question. I think um, Jimmy's best race tackle, you said, is Dover. He's 25 points out right now. Uh, we're going to have a really good idea whether or not who's going to make these this playoffs in on points or not uh, after Dover. There's no question because Jimmy's just that good there. Um, you got Eric Jones, who's still got a fighting chance as well. 
We'll see what Byron and even Pete Benedetto now has kind of dug himself a little bit of a hole here. We'll touch on his role in a minute. You know, he, he came out on Twitter and said they were nowhere close. And, you know, he needed a solid top 10 day, and he finished 15th. Didn't really get a lot of – didn't get any stage points um, at all in that 21 – or got some stage points, but um, not enough in that 21 car, so that hurt him as well. Um, if you go 6 through 10, there's a couple other guys in there who are really surprising – you know, uh, Clint Boyer, uh, another guy that's a very underrated road racer, does a very good job. It's a sixth-place run for him. That was a nice job. And how about Kaz Grala and his cup debut, if you missed it? Uh, Kaz Grala was driving a three-car for Richard Childress Racing. Austin Dillon um, had uh, COVID-19, so he, he had to miss the, the race at Daytona here. And uh, Kaz Grala, who a lot of people were, like, surprised that he was hired. He's got some road racing experience. Um, a guy who... Not a lot of people really, you know, we didn't, Thursday, when we, you know, Thursday, when we sit down on Thursday, we have no idea he's even going to run this race. And sure enough, you know, he goes out there, finishes seventh against, you know, somebody there, uh, Richard Childress Racing, in that three-car, their best finish on a restrictive weight, on a, excuse me, on a road course in over 20 years. Um, and, you know, he's the first, he's one of the first guys since uh, Jeff Burton have a top 10 run in his cup debut. So that was a really impressive day as well. William Byron in eighth, Joe Logano ninth, and another solid day. And I, I know he's worked a lot of people the wrong way this year, but you got to give him some credit. And, you know, I thought his crew kind of taking tires there at the end wasn't the greatest move. He lost track position. But a solid, solid day for Michael McDowell as well. Um, another top ten run for that team. He's another guy who's very underrated on the road course. Uh, does a great job. So, uh, some guys there, six to ten, Philip, who really had a, had a strong day uh, between Grala and McDowell. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Boyer; uh, he needed that to solidify his his spot in the in the chase. And getting uh, being up there all day, uh, got stage points in both stages, was a really strong effort. For a car and a team that hasn't performed at the same level as at least two of his teammates most of the year, and uh, good for him. I was so happy for Kaz Grala. I mean, he's a good dude. He's been able to. Yes, he has family money. Yes, he's had some help to get to this sport. His dad ran in the original Daytona prototype class, which Jim France developed uh, many many years ago. So he came from that, and he ran. His dad ran a three car. Cavs ran a three car for many years in his life. He talked about it, and I, I mean that was the best the three cars looked on a road course uh, since probably the year whatever, since the year two thousand or whatever. I mean that that thing looked great. It ran great. It showed that when you put somebody who has that kind of skill on a road course, it can be up there. Justin Alexander, I'll tell you, the more things kind of happen and the way things go, you wonder how – I mean, Justin Alexander is really underrated in this sport uh, with the way they've had to kind of make things happen recently in these last few weeks to not only get a win where they had no business winning at Texas to now having to put a guy in a cup car, never driven a cup car, and to go and pull a top ten, and it was by and it was Merrick. He had he led to he was up there. He's a top fifteen guy, top twenty guy for a good amount of the race. 
And and so it, it, there is no joke with that. And McDowell, professional road racer, many years spent in IMSA and Grand Am well before he became a, a NASCAR driver. For front row to get a top 10 finish, though, as you said, big deal. Um, unfortunately, points are not in their favor. They would need, uh, just as we talked about with, like, um, everybody outside of, I think, Jimmy Johnson, Eric Jones, and Tyler Reddick, maybe. Uh, they they need a win at the at the Coke Zero Four Hundred to make it in, but honestly, considering they're both you you have kind of the misfits in terms of McDowell, some of his antics, and you have Blickensdurfer who's kind of ran his way all the way through the Cup Series with multiple jobs and kind of been a fail at some places. It's a big uh, it's a good deal for both of them, uh, you know, with some of the rumors and some of the things that are going on with some of the younger drivers out there uh, for to put out another top 10 run. No question. They had a great day. When you look at throughout the rest of the field, there were some drivers who, you know, didn't run as good as you normally think they would. Uh, I talked a little earlier about Matt Benedetto, 15th place run. You know, he said they were just off on Twitter. He came out and said that after the race. Brad Kozlowski finishing 13th. Uh, you have Kevin Harvick in 17th. Harvick got uh, turned by um, Christopher Bell at one point in that race, and that really derailed him. He was a top-10 car, top-5 car, top-3 car pretty much all day. Uh, got a little bit off on the beginning. He, he took the, he started on the pole, but got a little bit off in the beginning of the race, lost some few spots in the first run of that race, but got turned around by um, Christopher Bell and then had some issues after that. And it was just a, a day, a little bit of a lost day. Still came back and finished. Uh, 17th after a pretty good pit call there by Rodney Childers at the end of that race. Ryan Newman finished uh, 19th. And you keep going through the Eric Amarillo, who usually has been very solid and consistent this year. He finished 24th. Bubba Wallace had a top 10 run going until he got turned on the final lap. Just some guys in there who you normally see up there running up uh, in the top 20, top 15. Ryan Blaney, 31st. He had some issues as well. He lost some spots. Uh, he blew through the chicane on the final lap. He had a tough day as well. And, of course, Kyle Busch with brake issues. Uh, and, and a crash eventually ended his day. Um, but what were your thoughts on, on some guys who really struggled here on the road course at Daytona? Yeah, it's, I think it might be the first time all year that Kevin Harvick looked human, or at least the first time post-COVID uh, break. They were not. They were nowhere all day, and they were not relevant. And that was shocking when you consider how good they've been and can, and also consider that Kevin Harvick has won multiple road races. So it, it was, it's a good thing for them. It's a good thing for Stuart Haas that they're not, they only have one road course in this uh, playoff because if they, if this is what's going to happen, they're in deep trouble. Um, if they need to get in on points or they need to do something that doesn't involve a win or, or that, has, that has to involve a win, they're, they're in deep trouble uh, going there. Uh, Kyle Busch, I mean, they're going to keep on building it up. I'm going to keep on saying this. He ran well. His car was fast. And fundamentally, the minus the brake, I mean, obviously the brake issues were severe. Because for Kyle Busch to have the kind of multitude of incidents and the stuff that is going on, that had to be a real legitimate mechanical disaster going on there. 
Um, he was really fast. He was up there with the 19 and the 11. Um, I It was a top five run that, you know, between spinning out and hitting this and that, and, you know, hitting everything. It, it was an unfortunate day, but look, Kyle Busch is going to be in the playoffs. All of his fans can relax. He's And I, and I honestly, and I said it, uh, you know, to some people on on Twitter, I'm like, or on Facebook, whatever. Yeah, I, I feel like he's just going to go out and win the Southern 500 in a couple of weeks. Why do I feel that way? Because it's Kyle bleeping Bush. There's there's no way that he could run this bad. I, I, every champion has these, like, lulls at some point in their career. When you consider he's won 8 trillion races, him losing, like, 20 races in a row seems so dramatic. It ain't that dramatic. Jimmy Johnson for years was winning like once out of every 12 races or 10 races. Now he hasn't won in three or four years. Gordon went through it. You know, Smoke did it. Dale Earnhardt went a whole entire year without winning a race. You know, like, think about that. Kyle Busch is going to win. He's going to win soon. They've been up there, and now they're starting to make a little bit of progress. That, that run was not indicative of what Kyle Busch's car was capable of uh, yesterday. Uh, but, hey, you know, we will see. I think uh, Dover is definitely going to be an equalizer in, in terms of some of these teams that are a midfield team that can possibly put a good setup on it and maybe make something happen versus the big-time teams who always have the speed. It, it, it has the opportunity to kind of get interesting um, hopefully, um, I don't know if it's a, we talk about 550, 750, I don't know which one they're running, but, um, they, they, if, uh, depending on which one they're running, it, it could be a good couple of uh, races, uh, coming up, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Dover's a great racetrack. We, we have a little soft spot in our hearts for that place because yeah. of uh, the proximate location. I know I've been there at least 20 times probably, and I know you've probably been there. Uh, a lot as well, uh, just because just because of of the location and uh, you know it is a great racetrack. Drivers rave about it every time they go there. Um, I I do think you know 311 laps for both races that's probably going to help that event. And I love Dover. And I, I listen. I would sit through 700 laps of Dover if I had to. But um, you know there are there was a point in that race even in recent years where you know you could sort of go get a hot dog and come back and not much had changed. So um, it, it might help. You know, a shorter race there for Dover this this week as well. But we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Speaking of that, you know, a lot of people have pointed towards the Daytona Road Course here and said, "Hey, we want to see more road courses." Scott Miller came out and gave it an A plus for what happened this weekend, the racing this weekend. <laughs> uh, didn't rule out putting on a 2021 schedule. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I don't think it was A plus at all. I, I mean, I don't think it was an F. For sure, but an A plus I think is, is being a, a very generous grader. But um, what are your thoughts on adding Daytona to the Cup schedule in 2021 road courses to 2021 schedule? What are your thoughts on that? No, I mean I I know you're we you've made it abundantly clear in our year and a half plus of together of me being on your show how much you're not a big fan of road courses, and I come from watching all different forms of racing and 
and I, I love the aspect of road courses. It also helps that some of my favorite drivers have been really good at it. I look at this weekend across the board. I'm looking at it from even counting ARCA on, with wet. I count the truck race, which was carnage, the Xfinity race, which was became a circus, and then the cup race, which was basically meh. This, this racetrack, there's a reason why it runs a Rolex 24, they run SCCA, they run all these different things, and it's great. There's a reason why it wasn't on the cup schedule un, until this, this came, COVID came up. The reality is they're going to run this, run this track next February for the clash with whoever is going to be in it. Who knows who's going to be in the freaking clash anymore. But they're going to run it for the clash. Okay. That's fine. They should not run a points race again, at least for Cup, at at Daytona on the road course. Um, It's enough that they wreck race cars and they waste time running two races there, running 900 miles on the big oval, uh, doing demo derby. Then you're going to have this road course with the the stupid package that they put out there yesterday, and they can't even pass. They can't really do nothing. It's it to me defeats the purpose. Run the 750 package with the low downforce, get the things off the ground. Let's see what they can do. It'd be like a TA2 race. Maybe there might be a little bit of something going on there. But then TA2 also runs on bias by tires. The Cup Series, no. Xfinity Series, it depends. But they go to multiple permanent road courses that are actually good. Um, and the I believe the Truck Series, Arca. It fits and suits what they need within their schedules. And if they have the huge gaps, which they do, go and run a doubleheader, run a one-day show or two-day, get them in Saturday, run a Sunday or do a Friday, Saturday thing. Let them do that. That's fine. Don't put the Cup Series out. If you're going to run the Cup Series on road courses, go to Montreal, go to Road America, go to freaking Coda so that Eddie Gossage loses his freaking mind and finally leaves, ends himself, or, or like, or go, I mean, get real crazy. You want to do something tight that nobody's going to be able to pass and it'll look ridiculous? Go to Laguna Seca. That would be carnage in itself. It would be better than Snoroma because at least you know that the freaking going through um, the corkscrew would be cool, and, you know, there would be a couple of really difficult, hard-breaking zones plus the corkscrew. It would actually be interesting. It would be like running a short track race on a road course. And speaking of that, that's what they need to be looking at as much, if not more, than adding road courses is adding short tracks. And and that's something we both can agree on. Um, Scott Miller, the amount of Kool-Aid that idiot drinks amongst SOD, Steve Phelps, I don't know what they drink. I don't know what they smoke. It is strong down in Daytona. Uh, there was not a lot about what I saw this weekend that would make me say it's an A-plus or that they need to keep on running that road course with stock cars. There's a reason why it's for the Rolex 24 and for certain types of series. Let's kind of leave it that way. I, I know they like to break traditions. It's kind of NASCAR's thing and screw things up. But let's leave some things for what it needs to be. I uh, see. I agree with that second part for sure. Um, I, I think you know. I, I I said this on Twitter, and I, I want to be clear. I don't want to. I'm not going to be supporting a series that 
has more ro- diverse road course races than short tracks. And, uh, you know, that that's a problem. And I know that's a, a hard fix right now. That's a long fix. And people are going to say, well, what are we supposed to do? Wait until – no, but I just want to see some progress on the short track front. And then I'll sit there and, and, and start – you know, patting people on the back and saying, "Hey, we're doing we're doing something good," because we haven't had any progress on a short track front in probably 25 years. We just keep taking them out and and replacing them with with worse racetracks. So that's my biggest problem with that. Um, I, I you know, I understand I'm in minority and people love road course racing. I mean, there's one person I t- I've talked to over uh, Facebook who you, you know he would if 36 races were road courses he he be thrilled so i mean i am you know you also got to worry about getting to a point where these road courses aren't going to be so unique anymore to where you know you might get tired people might get tired of them i mean we have five now in the xfinity series uh with the charlotte roval and the daytona daytona road course and indianapolis we ran and uh you know road america and if you have admit ohio and and they run Watkins Glen. You know, they haven't run Watkins Glen this year, but they're going to run four, probably five next year on the schedule. So that's a lot of road course racing for a series that has, what, 33 races in it. That's a lot of road course racing, and and they don't run many short tracks in that series either. So it's a lot different now, this schedule. And I'm not trying to sit there and crap on all road course racing because I do think it has a place, but I just think we don't want to get too many. That's my fear. Um, and, you know, what are we going to replace this this Daytona road course with? That's the other question I have. You know, are you going to take Daytona, the 400-miler off the schedule and replace yeah. it with a road course? I'm not sure I'm, thrill- I'm, I'm, not sure I'm, I'm behind that. You know, are you going to take off a, a race at Richmond? Or, you know, that's the scary part. They, I don't think they would be totally against taking a short track race away and moving it to Daytona's road course. So, I... To me, there's a lot of, of to, to look at and a lot to analyze with this, and I won't be supporting it if they take a, rate, a decent racetrack off the race. And I know people hate restrict plate racing and hate super speedway racing, but to me, again, diversity is good, and, and we only run four of those all year, so if they take one away, it would be kind of disappointing for a road course, in my opinion. 917-889-8280. The other thing that really stood out in this Cup Series race, Philip, and I want to get your take on it, was the heat. And, I, you know, Whoever thought running Daytona in July at three o'clock was was a good idea probably should have thought about it again. JJ Yaley had to get pulled out of his race car because of heat exhaustion, um, and and I think if it wasn't for that thirty minute break for the Lightning, you would have seen a lot more guys, uh, you know, struggling with the heat there at the end of that race. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think um, the I know Arca ran at night. But do you think that, that they could run that race at night if they had to? I know the clash probably next year is going to be at night. Uh, and would you totally be against running those races in the daytime? Uh, what about these cars with the heat? Uh, I just want to get your take on, on, on that situation. I know that was kind of a, a big story in the cup race. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for J.J. Ailey to fall out of a car, I mean, the guy has driven everything. I mean, he is no big thing here in NASCAR, but he's a triple crown winner. He's only, he was only the second triple crown winner uh, in USAC history, like in a a single year after smoke. 
he's driven some pretty tough race cars. For him to fall out of a race car, it tells you how bad it is. And it also speaks to how dumb NASCAR does things. I, I don't I, – I, this notion that they have to have a window, a, 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 re, a side window and, and everywhere, just have the car sealed off like it's a freaking sardine can, it, it just irritates me beyond belief. The notion that you're you you've had you can't keep cars on the ground. They still can't keep cars on the ground. It, it, you figured out ways at Daytona, which I think they showed about seventeen thousand times with Ryan Newman, uh, the same way MotoGP did it early with the the crashes they had uh, yesterday. You can't keep cars on the ground. So you think a window is going to make a difference if your car is going is staying on the on, on the ground? Freaking eight thousand degrees outside. Spencer was at the racetrack and he was dying. I think there was other people who were posting how bad it was outside. I mean, of course we're we're considering COVID and it's the worst case scenario that they're there. I mean, albeit that we're going to be going to Daytona again in a couple of weeks, they'll be running at night. But it'll still be ninety degrees probably at race time. And it'll be over 100 degrees down down at the track. I mean, take the freaking windows out. Do something that they seal these things off in such a way where these drivers are gonna like Dylan freaking fell out of his car because of they, that was a carbon monoxide deal. But then that's also a combination of you have the I, I think they run the window at Martin's. They run the windows everywhere now. There used to be a time where you didn't run a window anywhere except Daytona and Talladega. I mean, that makes sense. Get, get Ventilate the freaking race car. All this crap they're doing, all this stupidity they're doing. The drivers are what pushes this deal. If you're going to be going and putting the drivers in a heat stroke, all, I mean, they're, they're fit. Most of them are pretty darn fit now. If you're going to drive these guys into a point where they're going to have heat strokes, they always show the temperature like it's some amazing. Like it's it's so stupid. All these engineers, all the crap engineers do to make racing bad. You can't engineer a way to get better air circulation to a driver so that they don't freaking stroke out in a race car. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And and I mean, yesterday there was going to be a lot more people, as you said, Clayton, that were going to fall out of their car. And there wasn't going to be nobody to drive them because of the, the r- ridiculous rules that they had. And there was even people crying wolf about, I think, Bailey Curry uh, after he went and him and his idiot teammate ruined the Xfinity race, went and, and jumped in the 27 car after J.J. Yaley had to get pulled uh, because it went against the rules. But then it's NASCAR. They're consistently inconsistent, so it doesn't matter. And he's driving for Rick Ware, so it doesn't count. But... Um, yeah, that, that, that'll. It doesn't matter. In NASCAR, they they do things in such a way where they just insult people, and they don't care about what really matters, which is drivers, the fans, the people that really work in the sport, and and it's becoming more apparent day by day, and it's a shame, honestly, which is why the sport draws point whatever one point whatever rating that they do and they can't be golf, hockey, whatever, in search for it. Well, yeah, that's the thing that, that really stands out to me about these drivers with the heat. Even, uh, you know, when Bubba Wallace a few weeks ago had his issue on pit road, 
Uh, I, I think it was – I forget who else. Somebody else, maybe Ryan Newman had an issue there uh, a couple of weeks ago as well with a really hot race. You know, when you think about it and you go, these guys are, are way more fit than what they were 20, 25 years ago. I mean, they have their – you know, Jimmy Johnson rides a bike like 50 miles a weekend. Uh, you know, and J.J., you talked about J.J., he's a racer. I mean, he's, he's run forever. You know, he's one of those guys where you never sit there and say, oh, well, you know, he's not tough. He's, he's a tough race car driver. He's a really, really, really good race car driver and a guy who's done a ton of different racing – and for him to, to jump out of that car was surprising. Now, he said on Sirius that had he known that the lightning break was going to come, he probably would have been able, been okay and been able to make it. But, you know, we've seen that in the past. You know, really what it reminded me of a lot was when we used to run this race on July 4th in a day time. A lot of people would jump out of that race car, you know, for about 15, 20 minutes, get, get some fluids in them, catch their breath, and then hop back in their car. You know, and uh, it was... It was, but but now it's to me it's different because, like you said, they had a dumb rule in there this weekend which I didn't understand. I'll never understand it, and uh, it's just with the way the points are situated, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I hope, like you said, open up the window on the right side of the car. To me, that would be a lot more smart. You know, with, with a window in, in the Daytona race, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now it's time to put a race fill up. Uh, the UNOH is 188 from Daytona. It was Austin Cedric again in victory lane. Brandon Jones second, Noah Gregson third. AJ Elmendinger fourth. Annie Lally was fifth. Uh, what can you say about Cedric? I mean, he has been liked out here of late. You know, that's his uh, fifth win of the year for him this year. Sixth win, really in the last uh, handful of races in the Xfinity Series. He's been on fire, Phillip. Uh, fifth win in the last six Xfinity Series races for him. Uh, he's been on fire and has really taken over um, the, I think, a lot of people, in a lot of people's minds, the championship favorite mentality from Chase Briscoe right now. Uh, what were your thoughts on Austin Sidrick? I mean, he's a tremendous road racer. There's no question he goes out there again and pulls off the win on Saturday in the Xfinity race. Yeah, good old Gumby, I tell you, five out of six, he's, you're in Sam Ard territory. I mean, you, you're talking about one of the greatest that's ever been in Sam Ard and now Austin Sindrick's there. <laughs> and, oh, good grief. Um, I'm, I'm trying to bite my lip here, but the reality is Austin Sindrick's been running really well. Uh, and that's an understatement, really. Uh he, and I think finally he's figured it out. He's finally figured out how to manage his driving style or driving ability or whatever and make it work with these stock cars. He's always been able to do that in GT and in different, you know, uh, stock, you know, sports car type classes. He's always shown that. And when he's been in, he's been in, Arca trucks, Xfinity. He's always been way over aggressive, and he's wrecked a lot of race cars. And it helps that his dad runs Team Penske. Granted, it. I mean, I don't think he could hold a ride if he had kind of you know crapped himself this year. Uh, he's done the opposite of that. I think Chase Briscoe. I mean, he basically in the end, Sindrick won 
the regular season championship uh, on Saturday with that performance, uh, in part because A.J. Allmendinger did everything but the lottery, and that included Chase Briscoe. Because um, Briscoe was the only other car that really had the pace and had the ability to make Sindrick work for it. Sindrick went and, and threw a, a fit when he was actually raced hard because he doesn't like that sort of thing. And fundamentally, he he had to earn that win. And then once that one BS restart happened, um, ruined the whole entire race, really, uh, that that was where it, it all kind of went sideways. And and unfortunately, that those... They, I mean, that's, that's a rant that I'm going to have to save for tomorrow, but... Um, Cindric winning isn't shocking anymore, not just on road courses, but in general. In the fact that he's driving a Penske car, he should be able to. And he's really put himself in line to not only possibly win this championship, but move up to the Cup Series, which I would have never thought at the start of 2020 that he would be uh, a prospect to move up to be a rookie in 2021. But it, it looks like that's going to be the case. It's just a, where that that will be. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. It really is when you think about the uh, the season Cindric's had, and um, you know, we could dive into the silly season uh, another time. But it's going to be wild. You know, a lot of rumors out there right now. A lot of different things going on. I mean, just recently announced that Justin Marks is going to start uh, a Cup Series team next season. Uh, I know there's also uh, talk Spire is going to probably make a serious effort at it. Sounds like maybe Chastain and Justin Haley might be in one in both of those cars next year. In in both of those cars next year, so we'll see uh, as it all plays out. But nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. That's the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles. If you want to join the show, Clayton Caldwell and Philip Matthew with you tonight. Um, Nat, NASCAR Gander Outdoor and RV Truck Series racing from uh, Daytona National Speedway Road Course as well. Really, it came down to GMS Racing there, Philip, at the end. Uh, Sheldon Creed held off, holding off Brett Moffitt. Moffitt, to me, was a, a better uh, truck. He had a better truck, I think, through really the road course portion of the track. But when it got to where you had to draft and really the speed, his car was too damaged from an earlier incident at the end of that race to chase down Sheldon Creed. Creed was able to, to keep some distance on him. He did a great job. He didn't screw up at the end of that race. Moffitt kept putting pressure on him, put pressure on him, and Creed was able to hold him off. Uh, so a nice job by him for him to get his Truck Series victory there and uh, GMS Racing 1 and 2 there uh, in the Truck Series race at Daytona. What were your thoughts watching that event unfold? Yeah, that the Truck Series race, I mean, people say that the Truck Series usually is the most entertaining. There's a lot of people that feel that way. And fundamentally, you're going to, you could just basically spin the wheel. It's like Wheel of Fortune. You're going to get the whole bit. And that's what the truck series is, especially on road courses. And, but when it came to this race and this deal, it was GMS. Those trucks were so fast. Uh, Brett Moffitt has become a really, really strong road racer. Uh, he's, he's shown that. In, in his full-time efforts in the truck series for sure. Um, but Sheldon Creed, he, he kind of pulled one of those, his, his mentors, Robbie Gordon, 
Uh, he cussed like Robbie Gordon doing that interview. He looked like Robbie Gordon racing there yesterday. Um, he, he's, he, he's basically, it's like Robbie Gordon 2.0. And I, I, I love Creed's, just the whole thing about him. You know, he's just aggressive. He, no frills, no filter, uh, aggressive guy. You're going to get the most out of it every time. He's going to put it in the fence or he's going to win or it, it's going to be entertaining. It's a, it, it's the reason why he won multiple uh, stadium super truck titles. It's the reason why he somehow or another went from doing that to pavement and within his second year uh, on pavement, he wins an ARCA title uh, with M- MBM or MDM, I forget whichever it is, all those letters are all those. And, and so it, it, it was a good, that was a good race between those two guys. Those are two guys that are going to be contending for this truck series title uh, in a very tight, uh, difficult uh, uh, championship to really uh, consider. Um, of course, Austin Hill's been accumulating points and another top five for him in the uh, uh, Dan Gurney uh, All-American Racers throwback, uh, which was a great job by them in Hattori Racing. Uh, Matt Crafton, who isn't known as a road racer, going and getting a top five is a big deal. Lassard, uh, best finish of his career. It, it was definitely, it was full of entertainment, full of argy-bargy, as uh, Calvin Fish would say. You 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 could have, um, Carson Osevar, I think, pissed off half the field. Um, it, it, so, I mean, it, there you had a, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, that's why the truck series is kind of where you can go in R&D and kind of try out things. That's why I want them to run this road course again. Because I think you could have good races there, whether it's in the dark, at night, daylight, whatever. You're going to have some interesting things happen. Uh, but I, I honestly cool to see Sheldon Creed finally get a win, a full race win in the truck series after a rain shortened deal uh, a few weeks ago uh, for his first win. Yeah, it really was. He uh he's a, a seems like a really good driver. Like you mentioned, it's the second win this year. And it was just, you know, to go out and beat Moffitt the way he did and, and I know Moffitt was damaged and he probably would you know, if, if it was all fair in games, he probably would have been able to catch him and, and make a move, but give Creed credit, he was able to hold him off and, and really the big thing at the end there is don't make mistakes. Don't overdrive the corner and that's a very easy thing to do on a road course. And he didn't do it. And give him a lot of credit for that because he, de- he deserves it. And, uh, you know, it was a very entertaining race. You're right. I think the trucks put on the best show of the weekend. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and GMS has really gotten fit- things figured out here. I don't know um, if Moffitt's going to win a race this year or not, but i tell you what, he's he's going to be a threat for that championship. Uh, what I mean is win a race in a regular season, but he's going to be a threat for the championship. Really all GMS trucks are going to be – if they're in it, they're going to be uh, a threat for the championship because they are really, really, really fast right now. seems like the best thing they did was sort of, you know, cut their ties with all their um, affiliated teams and, you know, they go back to the truck series and focus on just one series with just their trucks because they're really starting to perform a lot better than what they were in the beginning of the year. So give Mike Beam and those guys over there at GMS Racing a lot of credit. Okay, Philip, I want to touch on this here. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different uh, time frame here. We're in the middle of August. Um, 
and it doesn't feel like you know the beginning of May, but or the end of May, but it certainly uh, did a little bit at Indianapolis this weekend as they qualified for the Indianapolis 500. You know, you had a uh, the 10, positions 10 through 33 were uh, determined on Saturday. Then they had the fast nine on Friday, or excuse me, on Sunday. Um, and Marco Andretti gets the pole. Um, a, you know, I misspoke before. I said his uncle, his, his, excuse me, I said that his father, Michael, took the pole. It was, it was his grandfather, Mario, who took the pole in 87. Um, but, you know, Marco Andretti's really, really struggled here on the last couple of years. In IndyCar, a lot of people forget he was even running. So to go out there, and he wasn't just fast, uh, you know, uh, during the Fast 9. He had the fastest time on Saturday. He was fast in all practice sessions. He's really, really been fast. Um, and what were your thoughts when, when you realized that it was Marco Andretti on the pole for uh, the 104th Indianapolis 500? I mean, it, it was def- it's definitely box office, and, and it made Robin Miller probably uh... – have to go and hit some of his medications because he's the biggest. If outside of Mario going and hitting the ceiling when um, his grandson went and got that uh, pole, I think uh, Robin Miller was the one guy I think that was the most happy about that deal. Uh, Marco and 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 I never knew how much a lot of these guys they're all really really uh, like him. Uh, and it's interesting because how much uh, Marco blocks everybody on Twitter and social media. It's for him to go and win that poll was a big deal for him, for that team that he owns with Brian Herta, dad, who is a legend too, who never got to win Indy, came very close. His grandfather is one of the greatest race car drivers of all time and only won Indy once. In 87, and we mentioned that just a second ago, Mario led most of the race. He dominated the whole month, won the pole easy, dominated the race, had an electrical problem with like 20 laps to go, cost him the win. His dad, Mark, Mark, Michael, went and had the same thing in 92, dominated the race, 13 laps to go, mechanical or electrical, whatever, loses the Indy 500. Marco had his soul taken away um, in 2006 by Sam Ornish at the line. Uh, You wonder if he wins that race what his career looks like relative to where he is now. Uh, But he's 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 won practice and 500 miles away from basically changing the whole entire narrative of his career. And and that could be similar. I mean, the the notion of families, and we talk about it with NASCAR, with, you know, with Clyde and, you know, Dale Jr. and insert family lineage. If an Andretti or even Graham Rahal, like if a Rahal wins this race on Sunday, the amount of press, the amount of positive PR that comes to the IndyCar series would be unbelievable. But if Marco wins this thing, there's going to be the parties that are going to be going on in Nazareth. I think Nazareth, they're going to have to, there's going to be people doing donuts at whatever's left at Nazareth Speedway because if he wins the Indianapolis 500. And there's probably going to be a baby made between him and, and Marta 
for sure if if that happens, and I think Tony's going to be watching. But it it it'll it, it will be something. This race is going to be very interesting. There are a lot of cars that are competitive in race trim that weren't competitive in qualifying trim, and uh, definitely something that we have to uh, take in. You'll be able to watch it before the second Dover Cup race. You'll be kind of having to switch between the Xfinity and the Indy 500. I know where I'm going to be. I know where Clayton probably is going to be. We'll be able to talk to each other, and then we'll be able to watch the Cup race after the Indianapolis 500. Well, and, and I know you're going to dive on this on, on your show a little bit, and you can talk about where we can find that, uh, uh, go into a lot more detail as far as breaking down the Indianapolis 500 and, and all that kind of stuff. But what really stood out to you in qualifying? You, talk, you, you brought up an interesting point because there was a lot of drivers up there. It seemed like Honda was really, really strong in qualifying. Then you have the Team Penske cars who Roger Penske owns this racetrack, um, and his cars were, were, sl- were slower. I mean, I think this is the furthest back Ilio Castanevis has ever started in this race. Um, so yep. it was sort of a surprise to see Team Penske where, you know, Roger Penske owns this racetrack, and you would think he would want to have a, a, a real, you know, dominating weekend. None of his cars made uh, the top nine. So uh, was that a little surprising to you? Who really stood out as a surprise to you uh, in qualifying from this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Clayton. The reality, the guy who now owns Indy, owned Indy well before he actually took a, took the the reins of it back last December. Roger Penske has won more polls, he's won more races and more polls at Indy than anybody. And for the Penske cars to be nowhere uh, was the biggest shock to me. Um, it, 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 it has, it's got ebbs and flows. It's, Indy is always that, that spot where the battle between Honda and Chevy kind of gets more interesting. Most of the races, the rest of the year, they're relatively equal, but Indy is where, you know, HRD goes in or HPD, HRD, I'm turning him to Toyota. HPD in California, and then you have Ilmore in England and combining with whatever with uh, out here in the U.S., uh, they they go and bring out the the best out of each other. And, and the Chevys, there was only one Chevy in the top nine who's a, a very young rookie uh, from the Netherlands in Renus VK, and uh, he drives for Ed Carpenter Racing, who's always been known for being fast. But even Ed Carpenter wasn't up there. Ed Carpenter is going to be starting 16th, which is probably his worst start he's had in about six or eight years. Uh, he's usually up in the front row. Uh, Connor Daly, who's going to be running the third car, uh, an Air Force car is going to cool number 47. Nowhere in qualifying, which is shocking. The, the fastest Penske car is Joseph Newgarden, which is not shocking, but the position he's in in 13th is, and he's behind, you know, Spencer Piggott, who's only running his second start of the year. I mean, Spencer Piggott qualified on the front row, I believe, last year 
in the Indy 500 for Ed Carpenter, so it's not shocking in that sense, but a, basically a, a guy in the team that's only running their second race. Uh, but the Penske team, the Chevys, they're going to have pace um, in, in race trim, and I think this race is going to be very, very interesting, a uh, lot more interesting than it has been the last couple of years, not just because of the way the grid is laid out, but because of a lot of there, – there's a lot of variables that you have to consider with the, the aero screen and the kind of drivers that are back in the tailback, as Rusty would like to say, uh, like Elio Castro-Neves and Fernando Alonso, defending race winner and pole sitter Simon Pagano on 25th. You know, there there are some real, real talent and, and legitimate people back there. Tony Kanaan, who who has a bet to try to make 10 spots in the first couple of laps, and I think he probably will do that and then drop anchor. But, you know, it's this race, a lot of intrigue. It's part of what makes Indy what it is. So we'll... We'll definitely find out. I mean, the second fastest field in Indy history as well, um, the, at an average speed of 229.339 miles an hour. So it shows how close these cars are. Um, so we, we will definitely see an interesting race uh, on Sunday. Yeah, final thoughts here for me on, on Indianapolis, and, and one more question I want to ask you, and I know, again, you'll bring this on your show uh, and if you can pitch that and just let us know where to go for that, I'm sure you'll be talking more about the Indianapolis 500. But how about Fernando Alonso's uh, opportunity to win this race? He didn't qualify very good. I believe he's back in about 26th, 27th, around that area. Um, you know, he didn't make the race here a year ago. That was a big story. But what about his chances on Sunday for the Indianapolis 500? You, you talk about race trim and how things are going to change, and there's a lot of drivers out there who have a chance at it. He's a guy who is a very popular driver, has a ton of talent. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Alonso's chances to win this race? I mean, his best shot at Indy was a couple of years ago when he ran for Andretti and they were running Honda, brought a bunch of grenades like John Menard's Buicks for years were. Um, and unfortunately, his blew up while he was leading or running up in second or third. He's been great in, in race trim for sure. He was the fastest of his team of his team running for the uh, BAM team, as I like to call them, because they're Arrow, McLaren, Schmidt, Peterson. And once you go and rearrange the letters, you can go and put two and two together. Um, Alonzo's been the fastest of the three cars uh, over the short week of practice. He and and... Truth be told, Fernando Alonso can drive anything. Uh, he has been driving anything uh, in his his layoff from Formula One. Uh, he will be going back to Formula One. He won't be able to drive this race for the next two years, even though the Indianapolis 500 will be a week after the Monaco Grand Prix next year. Renault will not allow him to do that. Um, does he have a chance to win? Sure, because he's Fernando Alonso. Will he win? No. Um, but he'll definitely give it the best shot because he leaves it all on the line. He's one of the great greatest drivers there's been in the last 20 years. Uh, 
15 years at least. And uh, he is he is beloved in not only Spain but over all over the world. And he and there's something to say about that. There's people like that, you know, like Lewis Hamilton and things like that. Um, but we will see what happens with that team. They're a one-off team. Craig Hampson is his engineer, who's one of the best there is. Period. Um, who knows? They, with Fernando Alonso, you just never know. Um, and with that team, the way they've been running in the regular races with both uh, Pato Award and Oliver Askew, I mean, maybe I'm no-selling him. Maybe I have to go and put money on him. Who knows? Um, he's there with James Davison um, running the Rick Ware and insert about 17 other owners' car in that row. So, um, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting, and we'll be – talking about that. I'll be talking about that on the Grip Strip Podcast. Thanks for giving me the time to talk about it, Clayton. Uh, we, we're going to have our regular show, and then we're also going to have an Indy 500 uh, a specific program that'll be out probably Saturday, uh, just in time to go and take in just before the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday. Um, we'll have Spencer Neff, uh, formerly of openwheels.com like I was. Um, Tanner got a job at IndyCar.com, or IndyCar itself, so we both don't have a writing job in terms of IndyCars. He has a blog, Spencer. He's a passionate fan. Uh, Myself and my co-host, Joshua Fine, uh, we'll be uh, breaking down the Indianapolis 500 in more detail, probably looking at some other people we can have on. Uh, to go and really break this thing down, and we'll also talk about the Indy 500 post-race following week as well. Very nice. One more question about Indianapolis. I know I don't, I don't want to take too much time away from you and your show, but uh, just real quick, uh, just give me a winner and a dark horse pick uh, for the Indianapolis 500 for people who are interested in that. Uh, Dixon, uh, because of how good he's been all year, and he's up in he's on the front row. He barely lost pole. Uh, he's he's at a different level this year. And considering he's a five-time champion, you think about it in NASCAR parlance. You're talking about Jimmy Johnson. You're talking about Jeff Gordon, Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt. He's that he's that kind of guy. You know, he's the he's in the AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti. Al Unser, Bobby Unser, you know, the, all the great legends. He's that kind of guy. And uh, he wins this sec- – he finally wins this race again. He only – he's won it once in 2008, but it's been a big dry spell. Dario uh, came in and won uh, two two races for Ganassi there. If Dixon can get over that hump and get that second Indy 500 win, it's almost like, yeah, now it's, it's like – Stealing and it would be double. It's a double points race as well. It probably would put the championship out of reach if he could go and win this race. Who's a wild card? The wild card. I'm going to pick Alex Pelot, the rookie for Dale Coin Racing. He had the highest speed I think going into turn one uh, during qualifying on Sunday afternoon for the Fast Nine. I think he got to flirted with 241 going into turn one and I don't know how he held on to that race car for four laps 
Um, I said he had a brass set on him to go and hold on to that thing. Uh, he had a great first lap, and then it kind of started falling away. He is a wild card. He reminds me of Carlos Munoz, who came to Indy from the Indy Lights and and did uh, very, very well at Indy, at Indianapolis early in his career and made some, had some great runs, made the high line work. Hello has no fear. He's a guy that I think has Formula One aspirations, but he's a kind of guy that could go and win this race as a rookie. And there's plenty of good rookies in this deal, but Alex Flo is a wild card that uh, I would say for sure. Very interesting. And I appreciate that again. You, know, you listen to Philip's uh, podcast. You can find him, you know, on his Facebook page, on his Twitter page as well. And he'll break down the Indianapolis 500 a little bit more detail than what we like to do here. Just like to kind of give a, a, a good idea of what's going to happen there. Uh, I personally can't wait. How about Dover this weekend, Philip? Getting back to the NASCAR side of things here. Um, what do you expect to see, and who do you expect to run really well? I know this is a, a, sort of a, a unique time for Dover because doubleheader weekend. Um, but what do you think we're going to see, and who do you think is going to be fast? I mean, Harvick's been good here in the past. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, you talked about somebody who might be a, a long shot, but a, but a, a pretty good long shot. Um, who do, you, who do you got running real fast here? Denny Hamlin's pretty good here as well. Kyle Busch, you talked about. Um, who do you think's going to run good here in the Cup side of things? Yeah, I mean, I think the most recent race that I attended Dover was a Kevin Harvick benefit. And after having a really poor run uh, at Daytona on Sunday, I think Kevin Harvick wants to put this thing away. He wants to be able to put the regular season points championship uh, out of reach. And if he goes and runs well on Saturday, I figure that's going to be in play. Uh, you can, as you mentioned, I think it's one of Martin Truex's 17 uh, home tracks. So, you, you know, you can't put any of the Gibbs, cars really out of play. They always run well at Dover. Um, Hamlin's had some good runs there. Brad's won there. Logano, you know, Clyde's ran really well there and just hasn't gotten over the hump. Uh, I mean, there's definitely, those, those are, the usual suspects are going to be up there. I think Kevin Harvick is the favorite uh, going into this weekend's race races. But, you know, Hamlin's so consistent this year, this last year and plus that he's been with, with Gabe Hart, um, I think we go back to normal. The usual, you know, the 4 and 11 will be up there. You have some 19, you'll have a little bit of number. You'll have, you have Truex, Keselowski, Clyde, Joey Logano, if he isn't running over somebody. Um but, I mean, I would like to see, honestly, I would like to see Jimmy Johnson up there. For nostalgia's sake, they have his car in Miles the Monster's hand. They went and did something with the bridge or whatever. It's his last time at Dover. He's lost. He's kind of gotten screwed at a couple times. Consider he's won 10, 11 races there. He lost a couple races. He might have, should have won. Uh I think for the horseshoe to finally come back and uh, 
for him to win. It would be good for all all involved for him to make this playoff on his final year here in the Cup Series. Yeah, there's no question, and, and he's got the new paint scheme now, and maybe they're going to bring him good luck. But listen, when he went to the pole, went to the front at Martinsville a few weeks back, now a few months back, I should say, um, and won that stage. That was that was wild, and you know, for a second we saw the old Jimmy Johnson, and it'd be interesting to see if we can see that again at Dover. It's great to see. Um, you know, doubleheader weekend at both Cup and Xfinity this weekend. So if you're trying to, you know, wondering. What to watch? You got two races for Cup on Saturday and Sunday, and two races for uh, Xfinity on Saturday and Sunday, and the trucks run on Friday at Dover as well. So, uh, lots of racing this weekend. We're gonna break it all down for you next week here on Talking Circles. So be here with us. Also, the Indianapolis 500. You can uh, follow Philip on his Facebook and Twitter pages, but mostly his Twitter pages. Uh, he'll have a lot more uh, breaking down the Indianapolis 500 for you as well. Also. <laughs> Grip, grip, grip Strip Podcast. That's where that's where he is. That's the name of his podcast. If you're interested in the Indy 500 stuff, that is where to go for that. So um, I want to thank everybody for listening tonight, and we'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.